Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. You got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 16 and Luke chapter 18. I'm going to be flipping back and forth there. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we began a series on finances, and I'm going to stay on that subject today. Um, For those of you who think I'm trying to get you to give money to Seven Hills, hopefully I eliminated that two weeks ago. And uh, I want to encourage you around this subject, um, but this is not as much for Seven Hills as it is for you personally. I really want you to understand some of these things that Jesus was pretty adamant about us understanding. And uh, so Luke chapter 16, let's look at verse number 9. Jesus is speaking here and he says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, that word fail means die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in that which is least, is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Great phrase there. We'll get back to that in a minute. And if you have been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. I told the first service uh, last night when I was driving home from uh, the service after speaking um, parts of this message. I've changed it a little bit this morning. Um, But on the way home, I had to stop and buy a big old pack of Twizzlers. Because I hate this subject. I hate talking about this subject because I know, I know what it does. Um, you know, like when you have your kids and you give them ice cream or you give them cake and they smile and they love you. But then when you feed them vegetables, they don't like you very much. You know what I'm talking about. It's kind of one of those subjects. It doesn't make you feel good about yourself. You know that it's needed. You know that it's biblical. Uh, you know that it's going to help people maybe more than some of the ice cream sermons, uh, but yet it doesn't make it any easier. And so I was eating my Twizzlers and went to bed depressed last night because I had to wake up and do it again today. And, uh, And the second I opened my eyes this morning, I really felt the presence of God and I felt like the Lord showed me some things this morning And I got so excited about this and I was so ministered to in my own spirit and heart that I'll never look at preaching a message like this the same again. Because I understand what I'm what I'm actually preaching for. And and hopefully by the end of this, I can help you see that as well. And again, just something that that has really uh, helped me in what I'm about to, to say. The verse there, verse 13 says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. 
two masters and two choices. You can serve God or you can serve mammon. You know, if you studied the Bible at all, you'll notice that this kind of contrast is very rare. As a matter of fact, you don't see Jesus making this kind of contrast in any other subject. You would think, I would think, that he would say something more like, you cannot serve God and the devil. But it's not what he says. He brings this contrast to the subject of mammon. And he says, you cannot serve both of these. You're either serving one or you are serving the other. He's not talking about what you believe. believe. He's not talking about your belief system. He's speaking specifically to that which you are serving, what you are living your life for. Serving is what you are giving your energy, your talent, your focus, your desires, the pursuit of your life to. What are you serving? The word mammon is mentioned four times in the Bible, and it's an Aramaic term that means riches, or specifically, it means the God of riches. The God of riches. So what Jesus is talking about here is not money. You have to kind of get past that. He's talking about mammon. And the idea of mammon is when people personify money and turn it into a living being, a God. Now, you're out there right now and you may be saying there's no such thing as as money living. And all I would simply ask you, if you don't think that there's a spirit on money... Uh, why do you listen to it so much? Because it does talk a lot. Am I right? I, you can't even hear what I'm saying because it's spending so much time talking to you. All you have to do is go to giving an offering and you'll know that mammon is a spirit and it will talk to you. Have you ever heard, heard mammon say something like this? The church is just about money. Have any of you ever gotten a bill? No, nowhere else you go in all the world that's like that. Nowhere else you go in all the world. Anywhere else you go, you go to lunch today, you go to the gym today, you go to buy a shirt today. Nowhere else you go are they going to let you out of there with any of that stuff. But yet mammon is really good, isn't it? It talking to us, trying to say things to us. And so this is what the Bible says. You cannot serve both because what mammon says is, or what it is, is when what you think you own actually owns you. And the Bible here, Jesus specifically says we have to be careful with this concept of, of personifying money, turning money into a God, because if you do, it's actually how the enemy controls the life of believers. And it's also why people get so furious about it when you talk about it in church. It's why I'm so uncomfortable talking about it, because I actually know I'm talking about people's God. And they don't like it. They don't, don't talk about my God because it's what's controlling their life. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's the acid test. And Jesus said you have to choose God or mammon. Jesus was warning us, really. He was warning us that this is how Satan will try to control the people of God. We know in Revelation chapter 13, for example, when the Antichrist shows up on the planet, the way he will rule and reign, the way that he will get 
people to bow down to him is not going to be through military force or military power or the threat of violence. The Bible says it will be through financial power that if you do not take the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy or sell. What's the threat? If you don't bow down to me, you can't take care of your family. If you don't bow down to me, you can't have your needs met. If you don't bow down to me, you won't be able to provide for the basic necessities of life. If you don't bow down to me, you will not be able to eat. If you do not bow down, what, what's, what's the whole idea? The spirit of mammon is a mammon we already know controls the world. The question is, are we going to allow it to control us as God's people? And so Luke chapter 18 gives us the example of how mammon controls somebody that loves God. And so let's look at it together. 18, verse 18, now a certain ruler asked Jesus saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus knows he's talking to someone that understands the scriptures. He knows he's talking to someone that loves God. He knows he's talking to somebody that, that is obeying the word of God. He knows who he's talking to. And notice what happens. The guy says, yeah, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus heard these things and he said to him, you still lack one thing. Now, I want you to watch this phrase. I want you to watch this phrase because a lot of people get mixed up right here in this verse. It doesn't say sell all that you have and distribute to the the poor so you can get to heaven. That's not what it says. It says sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven implied that the guy's going to already be in heaven. So this is not a scripture about heaven and hell. This is not a scripture about does the guy love God. That's not what it says. It says you have to do that to get to heaven. That's not what it says. It's talking about treasure in heaven, which if you study scripture at all, you would know treasure speaks of your reward. It doesn't speak of access. You don't get to heaven by what you give. You don't get to heaven if you, you, you don't get kept, you're not gonna be kept out of heaven if you never give. You get to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. What he's already done, purchase it, finalize it, that's it. So this is not a heaven or hell issue. This is not about do you love God? Does God love you? That's not what this is about. This is about something different. Now notice the distinct language that Jesus uses here. He says to him, you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. You see that? Come, follow follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Notice that the guy walks away from Jesus saying, come follow me. He walks away sorrowful. He walks away sad. Now that phrase, come follow me, is only given a few other times in scripture. And it's always given to one of his apostles. So Jesus goes to Matthew as he's running his tax collector business. And he says that phrase, come follow me. Simon Peter is running his fishing business. And Jesus says that phrase, come follow me. So when Jesus called one of his 12 apostles, he used that language. So this is not an instruction that 
God gives every believer or every Christian. No more than God would call every person in here to sell everything you have and go to Russia. How's the, Rush, the missionary in Russia going to be supported? I actually met a guy this week that did that. He owned one of the top 10 companies in all of Cincinnati and he sold it and became a missionary to Russia. God's never asked me to go to Russia. Many of you, God's never asked you to do that. But here, that's what's going on. Just like Jesus called Simon Peter to walk away from his fishing business, just like Jesus called Nathaniel or Bartholomew or one of the other apostles, that was a... So this guy is receiving an invitation to become one of the 12 apostles. His invitation is unique and rare. So what am I trying to say? When this guy was formed in his mother's womb, when God predestined him, according to Psalms 139, knew all of his days, that everything that God wanted him to do was put on the inside of him and was planned out. When that happened, this day was in that plan. The day was planned where this guy who was rich. That's what the world says you need to have. Young, the world is obsessed with youthfulness and ruler prestige. He has everything he needs to have. But that wasn't his calling. That wasn't his destiny. His destiny was a come follow me to be one of the 12 apostles. And what happened when that day of destiny came. You see, all of us have potential on the inside of us. All of us have a destiny on the inside of us. Every single one of us have a calling on the inside of us. We have the high call of Jesus. And our job is to not try to figure out what what somebody else called to do, but what am I called to do? And what we find here is the rich young ruler misses out on his destiny and his purpose because he is controlled by what he has. He is controlled by his money. It's not talking about heaven. It's not talking about hell. It's not talking about will he get to heaven. It's talking about This guy missed his moment with destiny because God blessed him and he served the blessing. God gave him resources and he served, he personified money and turned that into his God. And as a result, he ended up serving mammon and he missed his moment with destiny. He missed his moment to become one of the 12 apostles. That's so important that you hear that because he missed it because of mammon. You say, well, that's not me. I'm not rich. There's two categories of people when it comes to this subject. People that have money and are controlled by it and people that don't have money and are controlled by it. It's talking about desire. The craziest thing about history, if you study this a little bit further out, the Bible is clear that 37 years after this, if you study early church history, 37 years later, the Romans invaded Jerusalem and plundered the entire city and region of their wealth. And so this guy missed, up, missed an opportunity to become one of the 12 apostles because of his stuff. And all of that stuff he ended up losing anyhow. And we do the exact same thing. We give up moments to make an eternal impact for the glory of God. We give up moments of destiny. We give up moments to reach our full potential in the things of God, in the purposes of God. And we do it for stuff that, guess what? We're not going to take with us. 
It doesn't go with us. I don't care who you are. It does not go with you. In the end, it's all taken away. And I love this next part. Because people are saying exactly what you're saying during this moment. So this guy comes to Jesus. They have the conversation. Jesus says, go and sell all you have. Come follow me. He can't do it. Walks away sorrowful. Everybody's watching it. And watch what Jesus does. This is crazy. Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful. Verse 24. And he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it, so people are watching this. There's a crowd that's watching this exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler. And watch what happens. This is so crazy. They who heard it said, well, then who can actually be saved? Who can do this? And what does Jesus say? The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. I'm going to play it out for you one more time, just so you get it. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, I love you. I love your word. I love the things of God. I obey the scriptures, all that. Jesus says, I know, I know, but man, you lack one thing. There's so much treasure in heaven. There's so much more for you that's stored up. But for you to experience all that, you're going to have to leave all that and you're going to have to follow me. This is a rare, unique calling, not for everybody, but for you. This is what you were born for. And he walks away from it. He can't do it. Everybody's watching this guy walk away. Jesus sees him walk away and he He acknowledges it to everybody that's watching. Hey, listen, this is difficult. This is a hard subject. And as they're watching this guy walk away, they're all like, man, none of us are going to be able to get this right. None of us are going to be able to really serve you. None of us are going to be able to honor you. This is too hard. And what does Simon Peter stand up and say? We did it. I did it. I left the fishing business and all the apostles are there and they're all saying we did exactly what this guy refused to do. And now watch what Jesus says to everyone about what Simon Peter is saying. Verse 29, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom, who shall not receive many more times in this present time. Uh Uh-oh. And in the age to come in eternal life. You know what Jesus emphatically says, looking at Simon Peter and looking at the rich young ruler? Don't make no mistake about it. He's not going to win. And you didn't lose. He emphatically says... Simon, all the apostles, there's nothing you've walked away from that I will not make sure you get back many more times in this present day and in the age to come. You know what? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I really want you to get it and you're interrupting me, comma. You know what Jesus is saying? You don't lose when you give to God. You know what Jesus is saying? God will do more for you if you trust him, not only in eternity, but even in the life that you live now. Now watch this. Let's look at Luke chapter 16 again. I told you we'd flip back and forth. Verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. How do you make friends with unrighteous mammon? That when you die, okay, so we're talking about death. Watch what happens. You may receive everlasting, an everlasting home. You know how you make friends 
for yourselves with unrighteous mammon. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about how every single one of us have to make giving about something different than money. Giving is about souls. That's what, soul, that's what giving is about. And you make friends for yourselves how? That when you die and you get to heaven, there are going to be people there that come and say thank you because you gave. Now, I got saved in a 70-member church in a small town in liberal Kansas. I was 16 years old, and a small church reached out to a punk kid in Kansas that could never give anything back to them, by the way. But they made a decision to care about young people and reach out to me. I got saved on that Saturday night. And when I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, I can promise you this. I can promise you that I'm probably not going to be seeking many of you out. We're going to have all of eternity. But I'm going to get to heaven. And you know the people I'm going to want to talk to the most? The people that made sure I got there. They're, that's my friend. Because I would never know you if it wasn't for them. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And you know what they did? They made friends with what they had. They gave with no idea what it would do. But now here I am talking to you saying, when I get to heaven, those are the people I'm going to be so grateful for because they gave. And now they die. And when I die, we get to come together and we actually get to meet one another. And you don't know all the people whose lives are changed. You don't always get to meet them. You don't get to see them. You don't get to know their names, shake their hands many times. But I'm going to tell you, at some point, there are going to be the same reaction to every single one of you. That's what the Bible teaches us, is that only God can take what we give and turn it into true riches or souls. I can remember... Uh, making the decision to go into ministry when I was a, about 17 or 18 years old. And um, many of you hear my stories and I tell little pieces of it because I can't tell my whole story all the time. Um, but when my parents got a divorce, my mom, who had a drug addiction, got custody. So a part of my life, I lived in, in extreme poverty. But my father, who, I did, who did not get custody, was, was very wealthy. And so my mom ended up going into a rehab uh, my freshman year in high school. And so I moved back in with my dad. And after I became a Christian, a few years went by and, and I decided I wanted, to try to, I wanted to go into ministry. Now, ministry wasn't this. This right here, I don't even, this was never even, I don't even know what this is still. The, the ministry to me was like, you know, you're going to hear what ministry was. My dad pulled up. To, he was dropping me off at my youth pastor's house. Actually, it wasn't a house. It was a trailer. He was dropping me off in a, a trailer park. And my youth pastor's trailer was the worst trailer in the trailer park. I mean, this thing was dilapidated. It was a very, very rough uh, situation. And my dad pulls up. And, he's, and he, we're in my dad's brand new Mercedes. Nothing wrong with the Mercedes. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just giving you the comparison. My dad has this conversation with me. He says, Marcus, and it's just being a good dad. To this day, I look back at that conversation, and, and as a dad, I understand what he was trying to do. He said, Marcus, do you not see what you're trying to do with your life? Do you not see that if you go after this ministry stuff, you're never going to be able to provide for your family? 
I'm just asking you to think about what you're doing. I'm asking you to think about the decisions you're making. And I got out of that Mercedes and I walked into that trailer. And to this day, I remember the thought that there was not one ounce of my being that cared about the life he was talking about. I really cared about this life of of adventure and faith and risk and ultimately this life where I could see lives change the way my life was changed. And I can remember when I was a young man making that decision, God or mammon, God or mammon. And, you know, all throughout my life, I have to keep making those calls. I can remember as a youth pastor after several years, I made $18,000 a year and I Felt like I didn't want to be in ministry anymore. I was going through some struggles with the leadership there. And I had an opportunity with one of my youth leaders that owned about half a dozen blimpies or so. It's a subway chain. Uh, I don't know if they're here, but they're all over western Michigan. And uh, he offered me, this guy offered me, he needed a manager, four times what I was making. Now, you have to realize I have a pastoral theology degree from an unaccredited Bible college. All right? So... There was no way I was ever going to make. And by this time, you know what? I have my little girl to look at who was in a house where I'd never bought a piece of furniture ever in my whole life. I, Sarah and I slept on two twin mattresses pushed together with an egg crate over the top of it. And I'm looking at my family and I'm looking at this opportunity. And I'm not talking about ministry versus corporate America because this guy was called to corporate America. That was his calling. He was gifted to do it. He was called to do it. But the only reason I would, do, would be doing that was I knew that's not what I was called to. I knew I had the call of God on my life. I knew that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. But I had to choose again, God or mammon. In this church, but this is what I, I want you to see. I've not lost anything. I've not lost one thing. Why? Because this promise is true. There's nothing that you give to God that in this life, and I'm more blessed than I could ever imagine in this life. Forget heaven, forget eternity. In this life, I've watched the promises of God be true because there's nothing you give to God. There's nothing you sacrifice that he does not return. And that's what Jesus tells the apostle Simon Peter. He says, you will never outgive God. It is impossible. And the rich young ruler walked away from his destiny. Why? Because he had money? Nope, because money had him. And many people walk away from their destiny and their call. And they refuse to give up the things God's called them to because they don't understand the promise. If God is first, if you serve God, you cannot lose. I'm not talking about wealth or riches. I'm just basically saying God will bless you and you cannot outgive him. Not only in eternity, but the riches that you will experience in this life will be far greater. There's no risk in trusting God. The only risk is in not trusting God as a believer because many Christians are sad and sorrowful because they've walked away from the call of God with their life because of mammon. Mammon is what the Bible calls the love of money. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10 says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Many people misquote that and say money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What's it saying? When you make money your God, 
That's loving money. That's serving money. That's making money something it was never designed to be. Money was never designed to be served. Money was designed to serve you to accomplish the purposes of God in your life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. In the end times, people will become lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Why do people love money? Why do they serve money? Like the rich young ruler, he believed God. But why did he serve money instead of serving God? They do it because they actually believe that in their life, money is the thing that will protect them and keep them safe and keep them secure. Really, the thing that happens is mammon lies to them and tells them, I'll give you everything that you need. I'll I'll give you happiness. I'll give you joy. I'll give you identity. I'll make you important. Mammon lies to you and says the reason people don't listen to you is because you don't have enough of this. If you had more, people would listen to you. If you had more, people would love you. If you had this, people would think that you were somebody special. And then they would really see your true worth. That's the lie of mammon. You and I do not have to believe any of those lies. Money is not a God. God promises us what we can have and we don't need to serve money to get our identity and find our worth in life. And if you think that money is the thing that provides value and worth, then let me just ask you a question. 20, 30, 40, 50 years, a century from now, who do you think is going to have mattered more, Hugh Hefner or Mother Teresa? And the truth of the matter is there are people that are of great value and will never be rich through what they do. There are police officers, there's teachers, there's missionaries, there's counselors. There's so many people in this world. They may not have what others have, but their role is critical in our world. I had this moment this week, this personal moment that was just so profound that, um, that as a father, I was blown away by this moment that I had with my oldest daughter, Savannah. She, um, I guess there was some, some pictures or something that needed to be paid for, some senior pictures, my younger daughter and and Savannah was in the place to pay for them. I, I don't really recall how, so she just paid for these senior pictures. And there was a few other situations that popped up. And Savannah just ended up, she just kept paying for this stuff. Equal like $1,500. Uh, all this different stuff that over the course of, I guess, a month or so, she had just paid for. And she tells, or uh, Sarah heard about it. And she said, hey, uh, give me all that stuff and I'll tell your dad. And and Savannah kind of fought her a little bit, but then she finally says, you know, it was like $1,500. And so I go to Savannah, I'm like, hey, I know I owe you like $1,500. Uh, I'll get it to you at some point. You know, you know, I'll get it to you at some point. <laughs> and, um, and she says, Dad, don't worry about it. I got it. And I know she doesn't have hardly anything. And it hit me. It hit me. The reason she could look at me and say, don't worry about the $1,500, the reason she could say that is because she has me. She don't have to worry about the $1,500. She's got me. Because she's got me, she's not worried about that. Now, when she was three years old, she couldn't even share a French fry with me. (laughs) 
even though I had the ability to get her as many French fries as a three-year-old could ever imagine wanting, (laughs) she couldn't give it to me because she didn't know me yet. But from three to 20, she's got to know me. And from three to 20, she's learned. Guess what? Daddy can get me all the French fries I would ever want. And you know what? And when she did that, when she said, don't worry about the $1,500, it's not that I would ever take that from her or not want to give it back to her. But when I saw her trust and her confidence in me, that she didn't have to worry about that. She didn't have to think about that. She didn't have to keep track of that. Because you know what's more than that? She has her relationship with me. And I think what happens with a lot of us is we're still caught up on the French fry part of things because we just don't know him yet. We're not confident that he's not worried about our little dollar amounts. He doesn't care about that. You know, that's why the Bible says if you're faithful with little, faithful with little, you'll be faithful. You can be faithful with much. That, that phrase little can have a lot of applications, but one of the greatest applications, one of the greatest applications is the tithe. If you can be faithful with little, we just read the scripture. You know what it says? You can, be, you can be trusted with true riches, true riches. You know what true riches is? It's not a bigger bank account. True riches is souls. True riches is souls. Let me, let me help you understand it like this. This is a mason jar. And um, Kerr Mason was the founder of mason jars and it's a massive company and he got saved by in a, D, in a D.L. Moody crusade and who's a famous evangelist uh, based out of the city of Chicago, Illinois and he made a commitment to God right after he got saved to give to tithe off of every penny he earned and his main factory was downtown San, San Francisco and a massive earthquake hit the city of San Francisco destroying most of the city what didn't destroy the city by the earthquake, a great fire broke out and burned most of the city down. In Kerr Mason's mind, he had lost everything. He gets a call to come and visit his factory. And his prayer on the way is, God, everything I've lost, you're going to have to help me rebuild. He knows he's lost millions and millions and millions of dollars. He knows that. He gets there and the street that his factory was on All the factories next to his factory on the left, burned down, gone. On the right, burned down and gone. His factory standing. He goes on the inside thinking that every one of these mason jars have been destroyed and broken. And he walks in and not one mason jar was broke. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God care about a mason jar? Come on. He doesn't care about a mason jar. God's not trying to save that mason jar, right? Does he care about it? Sorry, Evan. I didn't plan on that. Does God care about a mason jar? You know what God did care about? Souls. He knew that attached to those mason jars were souls. I'm finishing with this because I feel like we're so close we almost got it. About four months ago, a man came to me said, I want to marry your daughter. And I said, yes, absolutely. She's all yours. This is why. 
I've watched Luke for years. I've watched him get saved in this church. I've watched him serve God for years in this church. I've watched him sacrifice and against all odds turn towards God when he could have turned towards other things. I've watched him do that in his relationship. I've watched him do that in his work ethic. I've watched him do that in all of his relationships. I've watched him do that. And you know what? Also, during an internship that's very sacrificial here, you know what I could also do? I could pull up his giving records. And you know what? He tithed. Say, why does that matter? Because I'm trusting him with true riches. My daughter. And if I'm going to give somebody my daughter, I want to know how they handle the other areas of their life. Come on. And that's what the Bible says. If you'll be faithful in little, if you'll be faithful with the mason jars, if you'll be faithful with the might, if you'll be faithful with the tithe, if you'll be faithful with the little, what happens? God knows you can be trusted with true riches. True riches is souls. When we talk about giving, and this is what helped me this morning so much, I woke up and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. You're not preaching about money today. You're preaching for souls. Because if people will get that, it will translate into people getting saved. And that is true riches. And I want God to be able to trust us with souls. Amen.